When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And everyone, welcome back. It is Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in once again. I do appreciate it. Don't forget to write us a review when you're done listening. Always appreciate the feedback, and you know that reviews are very important to podcasts, and reviews are just important in general these days. But uh, please, uh, like I said, please leave us some feedback. Let us know what you think. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the official podcast network for metallica they've got their podcast on our platform and uh it's been great having them aboard and check out their podcast and check out the many other music related podcasts on pantheon pods pantheonpodcast.com you can follow them on instagram twitter and facebook at pantheon pod so do yourself a favor and go check that out and you can follow the hook rocks at the hook rocks on twitter facebook and instagram so please Follow us or like us, whatever you do on each platform. We do appreciate it. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We just celebrated episode 500 with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick and our four-year anniversary show with Nita Strauss, the legendary guitar player who just released an amazing solo album. And, of course, 
Many know her from being the guitar player for Alice Cooper. We've had some great episodes as of well. We just did a review of one of my favorite independent artists, Bourbon House. They played near my house here last week, and we checked them out, and that was awesome. Don't forget also to check out the interview with Aaron Colburn and Leilani Kilgore. They're set to tour here on September 23rd. That's next, next week, Saturday. So, like I said, forget all the Live Nation fees and, and ticket prices. Go see two great independent artists that are going to be hitting cities all across the U.S. We also welcome Milenko Matievich, the great lead singer from Steelheart. Talked about his near-fatal stroke that happened several months ago and his recovery. Very inspirational story about perseverance. Always uh, enjoy having him on. We also welcome back Damon Johnson, who's putting together Brother Kane and uh, the reunion tour with that and the 30th anniversary of their debut album. For those that like vinyl, Go check out the notes in that podcast and find the link to their website where you can find a gorgeous piece of vinyl with mixed color scheme and everything. It is absolutely awesome. And, of course, we also did our live album review uh, with Robin the Hood. We did Motorhead's No Sleep Till Hammersmith and the Nick Perry interview that uh, we just did Last month, about a little bit over a month ago, has gotten some great feedback. I just returned myself from Austin, Texas at a great event for Sweet Relief, which if you guys do not know, check out sweetrelief.org. It's a great organization that helps artists and everyone in the music business with health benefits, um, outreach for mental health issues. And my buddy, who has been on the podcast before, organized this down in Austin, Fossil Man. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, just search up Fossil Man and you'll be able to find him. But he put together this bill of great up and coming independent artists and had a sound auction. And we had some really cool items. Like we had an autographed uh, bottle of rum by Sammy Hagar. We had some autographs from Rick Nielsen. Bill Yanko donated a couple CDs too, as well, and many other great items too. Well, that, that helped us raise money. And Ace Von Johnson, of course, was the host. So uh, he was great to kind of hang out with. I haven't seen him since Rock and Pot in March, but man, it had Leilani Kilgore headlining. It had Abby Kay uh, and her band. And man, I got to tell you, I saw her a year ago in Chicago when she primarily did covers with her band. This was all original. Uh, broken a new drummer, amazing guitar player with Diego. She absolutely rocked with her energy. It was absolutely awesome. Blackheart Saints from Austin, Texas as well. And Christian Shields, who's also local to that area. And we also had Griffin Holpe, who's a great singer-songwriter. He got up on stage and performed. He was really good. And Eyebolt, which is this throwback metal, glam metal, whatever you want to call it, from the 80s. They're not from the 80s, but they are reminiscent of, I said, I don't know if people know this band. This is kind of a deep, deep band in the 80s that really didn't amount to much, but they had a great debut album. They were called Warrior. And they had a song called Fighting for the Earth. And the singer was Perry McCartney, who later sang for the Steve Stevens band, Atomic Playboys. Very reminiscent of that band. So go give uh, Eyebolt a look on social media and on the Internet. Speaking of independent artists, we've got another one uh, for you today on this episode. I'm very happy to welcome this artist. She's an incredible musician. She's an incredible bass player. And... Without further ado, it is Rachel Bellow. What's happening, Rachel? How are you? Hey, how are you? I had to mute myself um, because my cats were fighting in the background, which 
I think you're going to hear a lot of. So bear with me throughout this interview. Well, it sounds like they're working it out, you know? Yes, exactly. The whole time and during your intro, they were fighting. And I was like, please, for love of God, relax. But yes, hi. Thank you for having me. No worries. Every once in a while, you'll hear my dog bark in an episode. Okay, perfect. So I'm not alone in this. Okay, cool. Yes. I have a dog downstairs too. So God knows what you're going to hear throughout this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm totally aware of like... I used to lock my dog in the in a room when I did the interviews, but I'm just like, whatever. And he's usually good, but then every once in a while I'm filming an episode and there's a knock at the door or the mailman yeah. comes and I've got to like, you hear it in the background. It kind of adds yeah. a little personality to the podcast. What other music podcast has a dog barking in the background and doesn't edit it out? I leave there it you go. So. Well, again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you reaching out to me about doing this show. Um, just an amazing musician. And I always like to start out the same way every time we have a first-time guest. And that is the question I always ask. And that is, just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, a band, a performance, or an album that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, so easy. It was the first time I saw Aerosmith. Uh, I was 13 years old and I was front row. I had meet and greet. My mom surprised me with meet and greet and everything. And they were, they were always my favorite band since I was born, literally since the day I was born. But it was the first time getting to see them live. And just, it just, like, it sounds so cheesy and everyone says this, but it literally changed my life. I went home and I was like, okay, I'm really going to be serious about music. Like, this is it. Like, this is like the determining moment that I want to do this for the rest of my life. And not just something that I'm like casually into. Um, and then every live show I went to from that moment, because they weren't my first concert. My first concert was actually Matchbox, Matchbox 20. Um, but that concert in particular and every concert that followed that one, it just it made me want it more and more. And it made me fall more in love with rock and roll as a genre and what it encompasses. So, yeah. Thank you, Aerosmith. <laughs> what was it about the performance that hooked you? I think it was seeing all like just the energy of, you know, I was crying my eyes out. Everyone else around me, you know, all the girls were crying and just the energy and happiness in that moment. I was like, if I could have any little part of making someone feel what I felt and like a million other people felt in that moment. I was like, I, I want that a lot. And, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, just seeing your heroes in front of you within like reach is just like, it's, it gives you shivers in like the best way possible. And it's, a really, really big moment, especially at a young age like that. So, I love that feeling you get when you see a show and you are overcome with emotion. I mean, it's because music connects with so many people. And yes. to hear it through your speakers is one thing, but to see a performance is a completely different, completely different dynamic. Uh, I remember seeing Page and Plant tour in like 94. Nice. Um, of course, you know, Zeppelin has only reunited once. Or actually twice since their breakup. One was at Live Aid and the other one was at that, uh, show in the UK back, I think in 2008. And they put together a band, a really good band. I mean, if you look at the, the members of, of their backup band, Michael Lee was the drummer for the cult. Um, they had Charlie Jones, uh, who was a great bass player and they had Francis Dunnery, who was a, another fantastic guitar player, but they toured with, you know, as under the moniker Page and Plant and, when I saw them and they opened up with the song, thank you by Led Zeppelin. Like it was hard not to get emotional because I was so entrenched with Led Zeppelin. And then of course, you know, other bands too, like seeing kiss reunited for the first time with Ace and Peter and uh, you know, all those bands, Van Halen, when they, I I saw them with Sammy, 
But then when he, I, I saw them in 2008, I think it was with David Lee Roth as well. And that was just I incredible. Their, I don't, it wasn't 2008. I was in high school. So it was, it was obviously much later than that, but I saw one of their, uh, I think their, their final tour with Roth. Okay. Right. What year was that? I'm blank. That was right before the album. So that had to be whew, 2000. Fifth, I don't know, was it like yeah, 2015, 2016, something around okay. that. I was in the middle yeah. of high school, but my dad took me, and that that was like a huge moment too. I think the year before, after I saw Black Sabbath's final tour, so just like boom, 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 you know. Yeah. And it's not to me, you two watching all the bands that you love so much, you know, take their final bows, and Aerosmith's going on their uh, farewell tour now, uh, which is really, really disheartening but exciting at the same time. So it, it's it's really sad thinking about me being so much younger and seeing these concerts all the time. And as I get older, it's just, you know, not to make this a sad turn, but speaking of emotion and music, you know, you connect to these shows, you connect to the performers and then we're now at the age where we're just kind of watching them. Those shows dwindle and it's, it's heavy. That's also heavy. It, it's, it is heavy, but it, what, what's really cool is when you connect with music on the level that you do and I do and others do, it, it, it almost is like, like therapy. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I think of that song. Thank you from the page and plant performed the Led Zeppelin classic. And every time I hear, thank you. When I listen to Led Zeppelin two, I hear the live version. It's really hard for me to kind of like yeah. hear the studio version. I hear the performance. Anytime like a, a, a song that was performed, that hit me a certain way. It's very hard to distinguish between the studio and that. Because it's just a fresh memory all the time every time I hear it. Yeah, understood. Yeah, that's like a Seasons of Weather, which is like this amazing song. But you're right. I listen to that. And that's why I may be emotional from the job. So seeing it live and then, you know, listening to it after as I was previously, it's it's not the same anymore. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I am notorious with my friends and family for crying a lot at the concerts I go to. <laughs> it's an ongoing joke. It really is. But it, I, it's every band I love that I see live, I'm going to end up crying. It's just, it's how it goes. Rock music is so much more powerful in a live environment than it is through the radio or through speakers. Not that you can't get the power, you can't feel it that way. But, you know, I hear people talk all the time about why don't young kids listen to rock music? And why why do they listen to this shit that they listen to, as they say? And I remember taking my son to his first concert when he was five. And ever since then, he's liked rock music because there's just something about when a kid walks in to a venue and, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't ever seen a show before. And he sees all these people waiting around, like, what's everybody waiting for? Like, why is everybody doing this? And then the band hits the stage and you have that synergy between the crowd and the band and singing along and just yelling and screaming. And the band is, there's so much energy on stage. How can a kid, like, not feel that? Right. And all parents that are that are listening, take your kid to a rock concert. Listen, and if you're afraid of the environment, they have cell phones. They're watching plenty worse on their cell phones and they're going to see it. (laughs) Okay, That is true. That is true. You know, you might see someone scantily clad or whatever. Big deal. They're going to a lot worse on their on their cell phone. But the power of a rock show that it can just capture a kid's wonder and imagination is you'll they'll never listen to anything else i i still remember the impact it had on my son and that was 13 years ago and he's still 
has the bug, the rock and roll bug. It just never leaves. Once you see a live show, that's it. It's over. No other genre can compare to it. Yeah. Have you ever heard that song Rock Show by Hailstorm? No, but I've heard the song Rock Crowd by Pete Yorn. Okay. Probably the same same yeah. kind of stuff. It's yeah. literally about a young, like you just, you basically just sang the song without even realizing it. It's basically about a young kid seeing a rock show for the first time. And it's about like a, you know, like a young, like preteen kind of thing. It just thought, basically just saying like, this is what gets kids hooked. Like bring your goddamn kids to a rock show. <laughs> like it's, and you're right. You might see some stuff. Maybe don't take them to a Motley Crue show from the jump. If that's what you're really scared of. I don't know. But you know, like you said, they're, they're definitely looking at worse. So don't worry about that. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't really think, even if whatever a kid sees at a rock show, I think the power of what they see on stage and seeing the audience react the way they are, the whatever they see at a rock show will be a forgotten memory. What yeah. they hear in a band they see in the crowd, that will live on forever. You know, and mm-hmm. then I go to this band, I want to go see that band. And, and it's just a very powerful platform to really experience music. And I don't know why more parents don't take them like my generation. I don't know what's wrong with my generation when it comes to stuff like that, because I grew up in the eighties and the early nineties. And like, I was left home when I was 11. Okay. Just don't answer the door and don't answer the phone. And (laughs) no, we didn't, we didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all this other stuff. We just, you rode your bike until you found another friend in the neighborhood riding his bike and you hung out. You got home when the streetlights came on. Our parents wanted us out of the house and want us in the house. And like our generation for some reason is so like helicopter parent over kids. And it's like, just let them do what they need to do. Like, obviously you don't want them to do anything destructive or anything like that, but take them to a rock show. I was going to rock shows as, as, as a young kid. Oh you know? yeah. I was seeing Poison, New York Dolls, and Motley Crue. I think I was like nine or something. Yeah. And it's just, and I'm not to do my own horn, but I was a great kid. <laughs> I was the nerdiest, most well-behaved child ever. <laughs> so parents, if you're scared of rock shows, like making your kids act up, like I am literally Testament. I was a dork like scared of my own shadow kind of thing when I was younger and I was going to poison and Aerosmith and everything when I was born. So I think you'll be fine. <laughs> well, I, I often tell the story on the podcast about the Ace Freely show that I went to and I was 12 and it was Ace Freely, Y&T and Faster Pussycat. And it was at this place called the Aragon Ballroom, which they used to call the Aragon Brawl Room. And me and my friends, I slept over at my friend's house on Friday night and his brother gave us directions of how to take the L in Chicago. And the L in Chicago is like the subway. Okay. So we're 12 years old, Catholic school kids on the L (laughs) going, going down to Ace Freely. We got like polo shirts on and like khaki pants or whatever. We're like completely nerdy looking. And we walk in the Aragon brawl room and you see this haze of smoke like over the crowd mixture of of cigarette smoke and and marijuana i mean you have people passing joints over our shoulders you've got all the stuff going on but i just remember seeing i used to love yt i was a big yt fan and ace freely it was just incredible and then we took the uh the l home we knew what exit they he wrote it down on a piece of paper because he didn't have gps back then right. and then monday when we got to school that day 
everybody knew we went to the show. So on the playground, instead of like running around and playing tag or whatever we did back then, we sat, we stood, you know, we stood in front of these kids that were all sat around us and we told the story of this rock show. And they were all like, Oh my God, that's so, that's what you guys did that. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it was like, it, it, but it was, they were so captivated. I mean, obviously we didn't have, you know, anything on our phones that we could look at now, but that in itself propelled other kids to start asking their parents to go to rock shows and stuff like that. Right. So, it's but yeah, often, yeah. The, the moral of the story is your kid will be fine. He will Live. be fine. <laughs> and, 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 and guess what? When the, the music is permeating from his room, you'll like it. <laughs> it's like, it won't be yeah. like putting ear, you know, like, Oh God, this stuff again. So <laughs> you know, it's like the music, you know, win-win. So as far as bass goes, what attracted you to the bass? So I was kind of um, adoringly forced into it. <laughs> so I started on guitar when I was around 11 or 12. Um, so I was just playing six string. You know, uh, my big brother is a jazz and classical tr- uh, trained guitarist. So mm-hmm. when he was, and he's only four years older than me, so there isn't a huge age gap. But when he started playing, I was like, damn, that looks, he looks really cool. Like, I want to do that. <laughs> So I just started regular six string electric. I put my 12 year old heart and soul into that for like three years. And then um, when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to audition for the jazz band and I auditioned on guitar and um, <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> the cat alert. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It actually entertains me as I look over your shoulder. And I it's see actually it. really funny to watch, yeah. <laughs> but um, so I auditioned on guitar, and I auditioned with Dream On, of course. And my band director was like, "I really want you in it. We have like four guitarists already, though. Um, if you can learn bass, like in a couple weeks, like the basics of it." He was like, "Then you're in." So I was like, "Okay, you know, I want to be in the jazz band. I, you know, bass looks fun." So I started that, and that's why I really started getting serious about bass over guitar. And then it just I had the opportunity to, you know, go back to six string when I started joining like my friends' bands and stuff. And I just, I wanted to stick with bass. I just found myself gravitating towards bass more than guitar at that point. Um, and that's just what sent me down, you know, the rabbit hole of that. And I, I, I'll, I'll like still play six string every now and then if I'm like required to for like recording or, you know, just helping out with like friends' bands back home and stuff. But um, I, I don't know. I just, I found myself addicted to the four string. I, couldn't tell you why, but um, yeah. When you went down that path, who were some of the bass players that you listened to to be influenced by? Oh, God. Well, everyone knows. Uh, everyone's going to know my answers to this. That knows me personally. Uh, Lexi Fox from Steel Panther. I had the biggest teen crush on when I was little, younger. So I saw him. I got my first bass was um, the bass that he was playing in a poster I had of him in my room. And it was a uh, Thunderbird. So he was big. He, he j- that was just because he was like a cru- you know like a schoolgirl crush of mine and everything. But then when I really started deep diving into it, uh, Duff McKagan became a huge influence. Uh, Tom Hamilton, obviously, uh, I would say those two are where my roots like really really lie. Duff McKagan, I studied, still t- study like heavily to this day. So Duff has got so much feel on his playing. It's insane. Like he does not get enough credit. Like he gets a lot of credit, but he does not get enough. Like. He carries Guns N' Roses. He really does. He's and Slash is amazing, obviously, but I, Guns N' Roses would not be Guns N' Roses without Duff, a hundred percent. And he also holds that band together too. He's like, yeah, he does. He's like, 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 yeah, he's cool like, middle guy, you know, yeah. 
yeah, I, I he's like one of my idols for sure. Top idols. He's such an interesting guy. I've seen interviews with him as well. And he's got a lot to say and he's got a great perspective on things. And I remember when they first came out, you know, and they were, they were just, they were in terms of like who they were, they were all train wrecks. You know, I mean, like I still remember him and Slash being drunk at the American Music Awards, accepting their award and everything. And he's, you know, and you never thought like Duff would become what he is now. And he is a very, very, sharp guy um he's got a lot of interesting and great thoughts um but yeah i agree duff is the man he is he is he is he's like i said he gets a lot of credit but to me not nearly enough but that's a whole nother thing um it's, it, you mentioned you know duff has got more of a punk rock type of style um with his playing you know a lot of feel tom hamilton has a you know again we talk about the sound of bass i don't think tom really gets recognized for uh, he means to Aerosmith, you know, when you think of the bass tracks and like sweet emotion and walk this way, I mean, it's kind of like this Rocky, you know, rock music, funky type of thing that he's got going on. That's really unique, especially during that period when they came up to as well. Not a lot of bass players in rock were playing his style. Yeah. And another Aerosmith too, like, you know, to, to not take the focus off bass, but just to throw in a point, uh, Speaking of people not getting credit where credit's due, Brad Whitford, I love Joe Perry. Don't get me wrong. He yeah. is like, I, again, another one of my idols, heroes from the moment I was born. But Brad Whitford was really like the, the, the meat and potatoes of that band when it comes to guitar and, and style and rhythm and stuff like that. And it's, you know, Joe got a bunch of credit because he, he's an amazing guitarist, obviously, but he also just looks really, really cool. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, that's why a lot of attention went on him. But when you really like study Aerosmith, you're like, God damn, Brad is, you know, all those solos that like make your jaw drop, they're typically Brad, which is kind of a shocker. So a lot, I feel like a lot of that band doesn't really get enough credit, to be honest. Obviously, Steven's the front man. He's right. love my life, uh, you know, girls die over him, whatever. But, um, you know, that band is so much more than just Steven. It is. And it's so much more than just Steven and Joe, too, you know, but uh, they're a really cool example of that. You're right, though. It's, it's usually the unsung guys that are the mm-hmm. backbone of the band. I mean, I mentioned Led Zeppelin in the beginning. Led Zeppelin would not be who they are without John Paul Jones. Absolutely not. John Paul Jones is what makes that band tick. I mean, that guy, he, you know, he did all the arrangements and he kept that band together, especially as Paige got, you know, his addictions became stronger throughout their career and, you know, plant with, you know, him being a singer and also some of the personal tragedy that he had to as well. And then John Bonham, of course, you know, with, with, um, alcoholism, but he was the guy that was like the straight arrow that kept that band, you know, on the track and he doesn't give credit. (laughs) So as far as playing, you mentioned your influences. Was there always a goal of being a band? Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I was, so I'm originally from Philadelphia. I live in Arizona now. And in Philly, I was in like five bands since I was 16, I think. Uh, two of them were serious. Uh, one of them was very, very serious. And, you know, that's my experiences with that band gave me a lot of things that I could cross off my bucket list from when I was, I think I joined them when I was 17 or 18. Um, so, yeah, my goal was always into, was always to be in a band, uh, touring band and all that stuff. So. Yeah, Philadelphia, there's a great band out there from Philly, uh, like a metal band called Age of Truth. 
Which is true. They're phenomenal. I know. I'm obviously friends with a lot, a lot of those metal bands back home. But are they fairly new? Or are they? They've been around for about a handful of years, like five years. Okay. They're, yeah, like that was one of the best albums that I heard in 2021. Like oh, the yeah. album was was absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, they're a great Philly band. I don't know what's going on with them. They haven't released anything in a while, but um, that album, that last album that they did, um, a lot of people I know were just crazy about it. Absolutely. Oh, now I look them up. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, check them out. Let me, let me know what you think when you after you do. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the move to Arizona, what propelled you to do that? You were, you know, in these bands in Philadelphia, obviously moving out to the to the West Coast. You know, Arizona is not quite there, but it is, you know, one of the Western states. Um, what was what was the motivation to do that? Uh, the motivation to that is simple. It's, it was the band that I'm in now, um, Hollywood Gods and Monsters. They are based out of Arizona and L.A. Um, I was looking to move out of Jersey and Philly anyway. Uh, I was kind of just looking for my reason. Um, I was never, I, I was born and raised on the East Coast, but I just never saw myself staying there very long term, kind of just waiting for my moment that it made sense. And um, I got the call from the band and that made sense. So literally within three weeks, I packed up all my shit and I, uh, we drove across the country and I am still here. <laughs> now, as far as that, they do a lot of, what do they call it? Like mashup types. Type yeah. um, how does that, how do you deal with doing stuff like that, which is successful with wanting to do original stuff? So, yeah, that's, that was a tough adjustment, especially because this is like the band, the bands I'm in back home. Um, one was a progressive rock band. So very, uh, I want to say math rock kind of also kind of not just very technical. Um, and then the other band was a horror punk band. So two completely different, ends of the spectrum. So this band I'm in now, HGNM, is just a straight party dance band, which was a really fun but tough adjustment for me. I like, you know, after my first show with them, I remember the band sitting me down. They were basically in very nice terms were like, okay, you need to move. Like you need to like look like you're having fun. And I was laughing, but I was like, no, you got a point because I watched videos of myself from back home and my old, you know, original rock bands and stuff and my hair is just over my face and it's just like very Heart, you know, you're not doing too much crazy movement, everything. So that was a tough adjustment from like the uh, original hard rock band realm to the party dance cover realm. You got to put on a little bit more of a show. So that was that part of it. Um, there is a part of me that does miss doing, you know, originals for sure. And I'm sure there will be a time where I'll, you know, start doing that again as a side project or whatever has it. But um, I do miss that. I do miss just the hard, hard rock roots that I'm so accustomed to. But I'm also so grateful for this band because it, it opened me up to so many different styles that I never got to play. You know, I'm playing funk, I'm playing straight pop, I'm doing country, hip hop, like everything. And I think it's really, really helping me grow as a musician as well. Uh, just like jazz band did when I was in high school, you know, I'm, I'm, my roots lie so heavily in rock that sometimes I need that little extra push to expand that a little bit and, pick up new skills and HGM definitely maybe pick up new skills. I mean, we're in the studio now for, we're recording a whole new live set and I'm playing, you know, brick house, grand funk railroad, uh, Rihanna, Rob zombie, like everything in between. And I feel like there's no way that that's not going to make you grow as a musician. So yes, there's a part of me that misses playing originals. Uh, but there's also that part of me that's super grateful for what this band made me become. So what is outside of rock? What's the toughest genre to play bass on? 
think jazz was really jazz pushed my skills a lot. I mean, I know I was young, but I was playing so much that I, I, I will consider myself very skilled for my age back then. Uh, so when I started playing jazz, that was definitely like a damn, like I need to really, really focus on this if I want to become as good as I want to be. Um, and still, if I, you know, if I'm doing exercises or warm ups, it's jazz bass lines up and down the neck. It's, you know, scales, all that stuff. Just it's so you have to be so tight and in the pocket to pull off jazz that it's, it's a great thing to practice so that you can, you know, you, you're just becoming like Duff. Like you're just locked in a groove. If you know how to play jazz, your rhythm and your groove is solid. What about like other, you mentioned you were doing prog music mm-hmm. and that can be difficult on bass. Cause it, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, some of these prog bass players, obviously we know Getty Lee and, and, and mm-hmm. he's kind of the the grandfather of prog bass. And, you know, obviously the, you know, the guy from yes too as well, but you know, what's that like, what's that journey like on, on a bass? That was so the reason why I was so stiff on stage for a while is because the parts I was playing with that band, I could not put be a fun like show showman. Like I had to focus so heavily on the parts that I was playing, like I, I couldn't really focus on my straight stage presence. But yeah, I honestly didn't even think of that. Prog rock was crazy to like learn and, and get down. I remember I will still listen to some of the stuff that I played back then with uh that band and I'm like, holy shit, like I hope I could still do that now. You know what I mean? Cause I've been out of it for so long. Um, that definitely pushed uh, the boundaries as well. And that was, that was really cool because after we would write, record and like play a song or whatever, like that, it was such a feel good moment. Like it was definitely like a reaffirming, like, okay, you're, you're like kind of good at this. Like, you know what I mean? You got like a little bit of something. So yeah, prog rock too. I didn't even think of that. You brought that up and I didn't even give that a thought, but that was definitely a tough one nail as well. You know, I I know you're a horror fan too, as well. Yeah. Um, oh, gotcha. You know, I asked the same question to Ace because Ace Von Johnson, mm-hmm. who's in LA Guns and and faster, it wasn't faster Pussycat. He's a big horror guy. You know. Yes, he's awesome. And he's a great person. He's a fantastic dude. Um, I asked him one time, how does being a a, a horror movie fan influence the way you play? And I'll ask the same question to you. Interesting. Um, I would say, you know, I'm going to bring up something really specific, like Rob Zombie's films, right? The the soundtrack in that, when you listen to that shit, you just want to like, just, if you picture yourself playing it, you're, you're smashing your guitar on the stage. You're doing windmills. You're doing all this crazy stuff. I feel like that, it, it that's actually a good point. I guess that does uh, translate into your playing. It's just, you're going kind of crazy. Um, you think of the horror movie characters and killers that you know so well, and they're just, it's weird because it almost looks like they're having fun being insane. And I guess that can kind of translate into how you play. You know, I mean, I'm doing stuff on stage now that speaking of kids, not wanting to bring their kids to, or parents not wanting to bring their kids to a show, you know, I'm to the point where I'm doing stuff on stage that parents probably wouldn't want their kids to see just because you're having so much fun and you, you, you do kind of go crazy a little bit. Especially if you mix like two shots in before that, you're definitely going a little bit crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. Fun, yeah, it's, it's interesting because horror is all mood, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it creates a mood, it creates tension. You know, you want to scare people, and you want to, so you've got to create that mood. So, yeah. how does that? 
you know, the genre of film gets very mood relate related. Mm-hmm. How does that transfer over into music or does it? You know, do, do you have a little bit more of a moody tone because of the visions you see in, in horror movies? In my old band, yes, for sure. Um, I mean, like I said, I was in a horror. Movie. I don't even know what that was. That I only want to. I only want to know what that was. The, the cat fight <laughs> continues. <laughs> um, so, like I said, I was in a straight horror punk band. So, I mean, at that point, it's real easy. I, my face is bloody, and I have the contacts in and ripped clothing and stuff like that. For this band, even though we're called Hollywood Gods and Monsters, it's a obviously a little bit more of an upbeat, not horror shop rock tone. So, I do find it a little bit tougher there. Although, I would like to incorporate that a little bit just because of how much, you know, I do love horror and how much of a nerd I am about it. So maybe I'll figure out a way to uh, ease that in somehow, but. Yeah. It's because it's a very, it's a very unique genre of film because, you know, a horror movie, you know, obviously the shining is considered a great uh, piece of film, the original Halloween too, as well. But, you know, horror, horror movies are not going for like Oscars, right. They're going for, you know, the the scare the bejesus out of you, you know, and, And it, it, again, it's all like tension and, and mood. And I don't know, I've always wondered like people who are horror fans, if that impacts their music style. Yeah, that's, that's a really cool question. Like I said, I think back in my old bands for sure, where I had the room to be, to go into like my darker, like darker, spookier side a little bit more. Being a horror film fan and knowing the imagery of Iron Maiden. Were you ever influenced by Steve Harris? Uh, I'm scared to say this. I like Iron Maiden. I do. I think they're amazing. I just never got super, super into them. It was always, if if we're talking about bands that are kind of in that same genre, it was always Megadeth for me. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Over uh, Iron Maiden and Metallica. And I'm yeah. so sorry. I get like, so much hate in my DMs, I feel like. But I had to do it. <laughs> Yeah, the Iron Maiden fans are pretty rabid too. So I know they're. I'm done. I should just cancel myself right now. Just end this interview. I'm scared. Well, you um, know what though, you you did say it correctly in that it hasn't it never connected with you. You know and yeah, they're amazing. Always, yeah. I mean, there's always a moment. There's always mm-hmm. a moment where it can connect with you, mm-hmm. and and um, I know a lot of people who connected with Maiden later on, especially after seeing them live. Oh, I'm sure they went. Like, I'm sure if I sat down, same thing with Metallica, you know, like they just played in Arizona and everyone was like, oh my God, you're not going? Like, I would expect you to be the one person that would be there. And I'm like, you know, I should <laughs> because they, they are legends of my favorite genre ever. And I'm sure if I sat down with their records and just listened to them from top to bottom, I would start connecting with them. I just have to find the time to really just sit down and appreciate them because I know Iron Man and, you know, that group consists of some of the best rock conditions that ever walked the face of the earth um i feel like i just never got that like moment of just putting on one of their records and just chilling and just like having a drink and just soaking it all in so maybe that will be on my to-do list for this week because i i feel like i really should study them a little bit more if i want to be a somewhat decent bass player <laughs> outside of hollywood gods and monsters do you do any session work or studio work um Back home, yes. I have been asked a, quite a lot here from, like, uh, friends that are in different parts of the uh, country and stuff. It just honestly comes down to time. I would love to. But for a few months there, I mean, we were playing every single weekend. And just literally, I was, like, never home. This is actually one of my first months that I have. We have, like, no shows. We're taking a little bit of a break before uh, stuff picks up again. Stuff picks up again next month. But... I really would like to get into that. I really would like to circle back with those people that have reached out to me in the last couple of months and hopefully set something up, even if they live, you know, across the country. Yeah, no, you know, cause a lot of artists I speak to today need different avenues of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously they're in a band. That's why a lot of these guys have side projects and, and do things because first of all, they can now. Um, yeah, it's become acceptable. Years ago, it really wasn't cool to do something like that, or if it if it did happen, it was kind of like a, a one off. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at guys like Portnoy or George Lynch or some of these other guys that are do several things, I think it really affords them the 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 outlet and the experience to get out what they need to get out. Definitely, you know, I really look forward to the day that I get time to start, you know, a little hard rock side project again. I think that's going to be really fun. Obviously my loyalty is going to lie to my main band, but um, I just, I think it's going to be fun just to get, like you said, an outlet, right? Like I'm so used to that just hard nitty gritty rock and roll. It, it'll be really fun to get back into doing that a little bit 
uh, during H&M's downtime when, whenever we get to have that, which isn't often. <laughs> well, the, yeah, it's just, man, I think about, you know, the, I mean, God, I mean, Tracy Guns and Todd Damacurns just released uh, an album on Frontiers and, you know, and, and Tracy's been doing that more over the years. I know Todd does that, you know, frequently, obviously his main band is Slash right? and the Conspirators, but yeah, I, I think that's such a great thing for music fans right now is you get to see your favorite artists in a different light, in a different way that maybe you're not used to. And I yeah. think you appreciate their musicianship a lot more than maybe, you know, there was probably not enough need. I mean, it, well, it kind of encum- it circles a whole different type of bubble, right? Because now the big record contracts are no longer. So you need obviously right. different avenues of the, you know, the outlet to do different things, but you need different streams of revenue. And that's just the name of the game these days. It kind of, but it kind of one hand washes the other. Basically you're, you're, you have the creative outlet and you also have, you know, getting revenue for it, which yeah. is a missing piece. So, you know, there's a couple of different reasons why they do it, but I do enjoy seeing an artist that I'm used to hearing in one band or one style all of a sudden do something completely different. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Like the people that have been supporting me through social media or in person, whatever, since I was like younger, like that have seen me in my metal and uh horror punk bands, stuff like that, when they found out what H and M was about, they were all like, Holy shit, like you're gonna be in like a dance party band. Like you're that's a really big jump, which it was. Like I said, I mean, I really did have to adjust everything down to, you know, what I look like on stage and put a little bit more, you know, sparkle and pizzazz in it or whatever, as opposed to just fake blood and you know going down the Marilyn Manson route but um yeah the people that know me and have supported me they were really kind of taken back when they found out uh what H&M was about because it is such a big adjustment and like I said which is probably why I miss my roots a little bit but also I want to grow and I think those side projects like you said are really important and those new projects the main projects are really important because you get to go down any alley you want and just keep growing and growing and getting more skills that's kind of my goal and it also helps your your fan base too for you yeah. you know mm-hmm. people may like this but, and they may not know what else you're doing and it kind of brings all these worlds together and yeah that is awesome. you know with exposure because you know being an independent artist you need that you need multiple avenues of exposure and yeah i think that's i, I think there's a lot of problems with music today um in terms of the business side but i think one of the really cool things is the acceptance of an artist having multiple outlets. I think that's really cool because they yeah. didn't have that when I was growing up. Like it was one band and we had to wait and wait for the album, you know, and, and it was it got to, I remember Scorpions taking forever to release Savage Amusement after Love at First Thing. And it was like, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. So we had no idea what was going on. And it was like five years or four years, whenever it was, but it felt like eternity. Right. Like, you know, if, if a band may take a, some time to do an album, although it's rare these days, the members of the band do different things. So it's kind of, you know, it keeps the interest level of what their, what their main band is. I think yeah. that's, I think that's really cool. I, I, I wish we would have had that when I was younger. You know, it's, this month, like I said, is one of our months where we have one of our few months where we have like no shows and stuff like that. So I definitely had a lot of time to like, I definitely a lot of time to sit down and be like, okay, what do I want to do? When HGM has downtime, like, what do I want to do? 
Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm expanding my animal rescue work. I'll be focusing on that a lot more. I'm in very, very early stages putting together a uh, charity concert for local animal rescues in Arizona. So that's going to, I'm happy that that's going to take a lot of my focus and time, but this month was very, very heavy on reflection and what can I do to keep myself busy when, you know, those little pieces of time that I'm not busy. So that's, you know, writing music and stuff like that, just to fart around and have fun. That's probably going to lead up to something, you know. Where did the passion for animal rescue come from? I don't know. I was literally born with it. Like my parents know this better than anyone. They, they would try to buy me like baby dolls and stuff. And I was little and I was like, I want nothing to do with that. Please give me like a stuffed animal. <laughs> like it just, it, that was just built in me. Like the love I have for animals. It's just, that's something that never wavered. I knew when I was from the moment I was like five years old that I wanted to have some sort of line of work in the animal industry. And I, I've done work in every line. I was a lead vet tech. I was an animal shelter adoptions counselor. I was a kennel attendant. Um, just covered all the bases and now I'm like okay what next like what can I do uh in that field now so I guess I'm looking you know I'm thinking about it's exciting I'm at an exciting time where I get to figure out what I want to do in both fields that I love so much um and it's really cool this charity concert that I'm putting together it gets to take the two things I love the absolute most and mesh them together so I'm really excited to put a lot of time and energy into that yeah, I, I'm an animal lover as well. And, and, you know, I've had rescues throughout my life. And, you know, the one thing that maybe not everybody realizes is that you are their voice. Yeah. You know, like you are, you speak for them because they can't speak themselves and they can communicate. Animals are very good at communicating. But in terms of speaking up for them, whether, you know, a rescue or an abused animal uh, is very important. and. I've always admired people who get into that and who work at shelters and work at rescue um, places and help find families or help find dogs, help dogs find families. I think it's so important because there's so many rescues out there um, that not everyone ever finds a home. My dream one day would be to buy a huge piece of farmland of acres and acres and just have animals come there and let's stay as long as they want. Just like a, yep. Just like a, not really a rehab center, but just a, yeah, I guess temporary forever home, whatever they want it to be. Yeah. If someone comes and rescues them. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, or a place, like you said, to drop them off. Cause how many times mm-hmm. we hear stories where, you know, a dog's found in an alley. One of my rescues was found in an abandoned home. Uh, yeah. Another oh one gosh. of my rescues. Another one of my rescues was found, he was named Animal. He was a black lab collie. And uh, he was found in a dumpster in a garbage bag. Oh, my God. Eaten. Oh, my and, God. And um, sweetest dog ever. Sweetest, absolute sweetheart of a dog. But, yeah, I mean, we hear all those stories all the time. So instead of doing people doing those kind of things, just abandoning their dog, you know, there should be more places where no questions asked. Here you no go. Asked, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's the big thing is no questions asked. I mean, I worked at a shelter, uh, shelter facility, whatever you want to call it, back in Philly where, um, I mean, I know people were really scared to drop off their animals because of the consequences. You know, it, it, a lot of them were neglect situations and, 
you know, former drug addicts and stuff like that. And they're ashamed. And, you know, that that keeps them from bringing them into the place that they need to be. And for me, the really hard part was uh, keeping my emotions and anger in check because I really had to force myself to believe that, you know, some of these people are they have no other options. They have to do this. Um, the only time that those emotions were not able to be hidden is when I'm when I was forced to sit down, you know, across the table from a person that was a, admittedly like an animal abuser. That's when I, I, I couldn't. And that's why I left that job. I was like, I can't I can sit here and have a civil conversation with someone that, you know, is in some hard times and has to give up their animal, even if they were kind of neglected and stuff like I, I can I can be a human, you know, to them. But when I'm sitting across someone that just got caught herding animals for fun and it's my job to, you know, uh, ask him questions to get to know the animals. That's when I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't, I'm, I wear like my heart on my sleeve when it comes to animals. I can't hide my emotions. And I would, I, to put it nicely, like want to reach across and just like deck them in the face. (laughs) So that part was, you know, that, that's why I was like, I, this is a little bit much. I can only, I'm from New Jersey. I can only hold in my temper to a certain extent. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's a sickness, you know, for people that do that. And I can't, I, I, I can never understand people who uh, abuse kids or dogs or animals. It's insane. Um, it's, it's, and then you get people, sorry, I'm going to bring them up. Cause I, I feel like I get a right to, cause I'm from Philly. Michael Vick, for instance, I don't understand how that guy has a career right now. It makes me sick to my stomach that that man is still in the NFL racking in millions of dollars. It just, my mind cannot comprehend that to me because I mean, that's, but he's an analyst now, isn't he? I think he's like a TV analyst now. He is, yeah. He, he did play for a few years after, but you're right. He is an analyst now, actually. Yeah. I, well, I, I agree. I've often, I've often wondered about that too. Like, like, you know, and it, and it wasn't something that was like inadvertent. It was like, he knew. No, it was intentional. He's sick. Yeah, was, like he's sick. Like there's no, there's no way about it. I remember one time I made a social media post about Michael Vick and, Oh my God, did I get roasted to flames? People, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were like ride or die, like standing up for this guy. I'm like, you're, you're defending a psychopath. Like you, like, oh God, I'm going to go down the whole rabbit hole. No, I, I agree. I, it's, it's this, it's, I don't know what it is with people that feel because someone's a good athlete or a good actor or a good comedian, yep. it absolves them from any, consequence of bad behavior yeah. we're seeing it now with russell brand oh know, my god i know and just, i love him oh yeah who you know and it's not like it's just one woman it's multiple mm-hmm. women that are saying this that don't know each other and and it's like there's this blind defense of them for whatever reason i don't understand and even you know even if you support him don't you want to be okay well let's see where this plays out let's see where the facts are before you go hardcore in defending him. Exactly. And that's the thing that got me about Michael Vick. I'm like, the proof is in the pudding. Like, we all, there's no, yeah. like, went to prison for it. <laughs> yeah, know, like, he admits it. Like, you now look like a psychopath because you're defending him. Like, yeah. so congrats. You don't get it. Just, you know, you see that, you see people do that with athletes and actors and actresses all the time. And it's like, I, I why are you defending a scumbag? Yeah, it's the same thing. Like you, you, you see these celebrities get away with things that any other person would go to prison for 15 years for. It's like, what the hell? Just because it, yeah. God, it makes me sick. It really does. No, but getting back to the dog rescue stuff, you know, like I said, you know, you give you give animals a voice. 
mm-hmm. when when you rescue them, when you take care of them, when you alert people of abuse, alert people of the, you know, of what's happening. The other thing that would stop the amount of rescues out there is people doing research on animals before they get them, right? Because I don't know how many people I know who get a dog that I know that dog is not going to work well in that household. Yeah. You know? that's And, you know, the parents that get like a, bunnies and hamsters and stuff to like teach their kids a lesson and like responsibility. I'm like, yeah. please don't use living things as like a lesson to your children. <laughs> like, right. it's just, you know, people don't take it seriously. People don't put a lot of research and thought into their commitment. You know, they, they literally survive off of your care and some people are just so casual about it. And so they think they're so disposable and it's, that's not the case at all. There was a um a, kind of like a, a big thing after Game of Thrones or during Game of Thrones when it was out because they had the dire wolves in mm-hmm. Game of Thrones and everybody started to buy Malamutes and Huskies and and those dogs require a lot of work like yes. if you leave a Husky alone in a house or a Malamute alone in the house for eight hours the dog will tear up <laughs> you need to be active they need yeah. they need to be active plus they're diggers they'll dig under fences and they have all this energy and they also know how to manipulate their owner. They're very smart. And there was a lot, there was, a, there's a, a husky and Malamute rescue by my house that saw an increase in dogs being dropped off during Game of Thrones because people said, Oh, let's get a dog that looks like a dire wolf. Yeah. And don't even research. Like, yes, yeah. if, if you work long hours, this dog is not probably good for you because it needs and it's not just a 20 minute walk this dog needs to be walked for like an hour and a half multiple times yeah yeah and 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 i was very sad because i donate to that rescue uh charity for the malamutes and huskies i've never even owned a a malamute and husky but they're right by my house and they do really good work and they had an increase in people dropping off these dogs because they didn't really understand what the responsibility with this particular breed was. And that's another yeah. thing that goes along with the increase in people with rescues and abandoned dogs is because you buy a dog and you don't take the time. You research a car before you buy a car. You research a school before you send your school, your, your kids there. You research the job that you get, that you're going to get. But when you want to put a dog in your house, which is like another family member, you do no research. I don't understand that. Like, I, I want you to get a dog, but get the dog that's right for you. Right. The problem is it comes down to people thinking that animals are, like, disposable accessories. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, it's, it's the mindset of so many people. And it's why, I mean, I can't tell you, like, how many times at my old jobs where people would be surrendering their animals and they'd be like, all right, like, you want to go get lunch after? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so casual about it. I'm like, I, I could never. Like, my cats are horrible. I want to give them away every morning I wake up, <laughs> but I love them to death. It's just, it's how you, you have to be committed. You have to love them as humans because it's, you know, the love they deserve. Seriously. I had a, uh, half Akita German shepherd rescue and he, he lived till he was 13 and he did, he developed degenerative myelopathy, which is the, you know, for people that don't know, it's when the nerves, um, near the rear end, start to die and that slowly creeps forward throughout the dog's body. And it usually happens in larger breed dogs. So I started to notice that he would, you know, when he would go out to the bathroom, he would skip as he was going to the bathroom. That's like the first sign. So 
I, he had his regular vet, but I also got a holistic vet for him. And I would take him, uh, or I would take him to this vet who had a pool and they would do swim therapy with the dog once a week. Yeah, because I, you know, I look at it like he's my son. This, you know, mm-hmm. this dog is great. And I would, you put the life vest on and he would swim. And I'd like to think that I gave him, you know, a few several, you know, maybe several months, maybe a few months more of life because of that, you know, and, okay. and I think it's a responsibility as an owner that, yeah, there's things that you have to do as an owner. It is expensive sometimes, but don't get a dog if you're not willing to really go that mile and do those things for a dog. God, my my dog who uh, he's a pit mix. He's like six years old. Like how many was six months old? Love my life. He just went through a surgery uh, six seven months ago where he just all of a sudden had this like gnarly looking growth on his lip, and I was like, oh my god, it's cancer. Like obviously your mind goes like to the worst thing possible. Um, I was like, oh god, my dog is cancer. You know, you you it's the day you never want to come. Uh, luckily it didn't end up being cancer, but you know, that surgery is expensive as hell, but you, you find ways to make it work. You hustle, you, you make it work. Um, I'm still paying off that surgery. Honestly, that was crazy, but it's worth it. You know, you just, you just have to, before you sign that adoption paper, just know that you're going to go through like hell and back with your animal, but that's the way it should be. It's great that you're merging your passion for music with your passion for rescues and animals. When did that come together for you so yeah th- th- this kind of thing that's in the very early stages has been on my bucket list for years I've always wanted to find a really cool clean cut way to merge you know my two passions together and I was really kind of getting a little bit deeper into this planning a couple months ago but then um we we booked up a couple of the months that I wanted to start thinking about doing this event so I kind of put it on the back burner but like I said now that I've had some time to sit um during september and just kind of chill and regroup um i'm really gonna go back heavily into planning it so i guess the idea first came about like two months ago i sat down and really was like okay i have the means the connections and like the resume to now put this together and make this what it deserves to be so um yeah about two months ago is when i first decided to uh you know kind of finally pull the trigger on this Having been been a part of the the show last night in Austin, Texas, or near I'm sorry, near Dallas, Texas, I should say, um, and seeing how it was organized, it was wonderfully done. Um, having emerging rock bands up there, and then also having this silent auction of great items too, as well. Mm-hmm. That were you know, like I mentioned, I think at the beginning of the show, we had a signed rum bottle by Sammy Hagar. We had autographs by Rick Nielsen, Mealy from Steelheart. We had an autographed guitar by Warrant. It was really cool to kind of have that stuff to kind of bring in not only the interest for the bands that were there, because up and coming artists need more eyes on them, but also to shine a spotlight on a great organization like Sweet Relief that mm-hmm. does so much, so much for mental health and so much for health plans and insurance for not just the artists, but the road crew, the writers, the producers, the guys that mix stuff. So yeah, I love seeing when, when music is a is a tool to help promote awareness of whatever charity there is you know and in this case for you it's it's you know rescue awareness and 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 animals which is great um i wish more people would do that actually you know with their time yeah yeah yeah. side note it was really funny when i was listening to your intro uh you're talking about the event last night christian shields band is like one of our bands like 
greatest friends. We played so many shows together in Texas. They're such good guys. I, did you, I don't know if you got to meet them at all after or anything, but. Christian was actually one of my first guests on this podcast. No way. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. He's been on, he was on twice. Gosh, when I first started, he would, I'd love his album, um, that he put out and it was great. I've never seen him live. So, really? so, um, cause he's, he stays more down in the States around Texas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But having seen him play, um, last night was, was awesome. I mean, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. We every time we go to Texas, we pretty much line up some gigs with them. Um, they're awesome. I love Abby. Abby's kick ass. Um, but yeah, I saw that lineup when you posted it. I think this morning or last night or whatever. And I was like, damn, I know like five of those people personally right off that bill. It's just cool how you kind of just you know all small world, I guess. It is the rock community is a small world. It seems like it's big and it's this sometimes it's this vast wasteland of people. But everybody knows each other for the most part. And again, you know, putting a charity together, an event that benefits a great organization, and you bring in emerging bands because they don't get that opportunity too much. And and the more eyes on new bands, the more exposure they can get is always a good thing. And then that's exactly my goal with this is to, you know, obviously I'm going to have HGM headline, but I'm picking, you know, I, I have already in the stages of picking out the bands I want. And they're all, like you said, very, very small new bands that, you know, I, I know have talent, like they sound great. They put on great shows and I know that, but bands that haven't had the time yet to gain a, you know, a really vast following and stuff like that. I, I really hope that they can use this event as a really good, like first step into promotion yeah. and networking and stuff like that. There's a really great band from Arizona that's really building up a nice following right now. And that's the black moods. Oh my God. Yeah. They're also one of our best friends. Yeah. Josh is yeah, great. They're, they're yeah. insane. Yeah. We, we, I was like one of the last to meet them. Um, but we are talking about doing some shows together in the early next year. Um, I would love to put together like some kind of like little mini tour with them. Cause they're, they're kick ass. They deserve every amount of recognition they get here. And I think, Last year, they they headlined the festival that we are headlining next month. So there's always that we're like you said, we're just all connected all the time, staying the play, playing the same gigs, knowing the same people, just meeting by chance, and it's it's really cool how you know there doesn't always have to be some vicious competition, is what I'm getting at. I guess you know you just you can always promote each other and network and just help each other out. It doesn't have to be so serious and cutthroat. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people are are moving down to Nashville as you see this migration of people from, especially L.A., because I think it is more of a community where Mm -hmm. people help each other, where L.A. is kind of more cutthroat. Yeah, L.A.'s more, God, I think about L.A. every day and what it was and what it is now, and it's just not the same. I mean, there's also, everyone's leaving L.A. because in this age of social media, you don't need to be in L.A. to be near, like, the the hub of entertainment, and so you don't need to be there anymore. You could be anywhere if you have a computer and a phone and a ring light. I mean, you know, you can build up your following pretty easily if you if you try hard enough. You don't have to be in that central location like you had to be in like you know eighties and nineties and stuff like that. But um, Nashville, Nashville was one of the places that me and my old band were talking about moving to. Um, never been, absolutely would love to go. Really want to try to make a trip out there soon, and especially because so many people I love and friends of mine live down there that I've never even got to meet in person yet. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, the the great thing about Nashville, which is which is what LA used to be, 
mm-hmm. but it is you can go in the heart of Nashville and you hear music being played like everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, for a musician, I mean, that's it, kind of like where you want to be, like where music yeah. is being played. And yeah, you know, you're right. In one aspect, you don't have to, you don't have to be there because you've got a laptop and you've got social media and you've got ways to connect with people, but meeting people face to face in the community, because you have situations where, you know, you'll be talking to someone who's on like a, a country artist album and you're doing a rock album. Hey, do you want me to come down and lay some tracks down? You know, mm-hmm. everybody just wants to help each other. And I think that's just awesome. I think that's the way it's would, I would so love to just spend like a week or two there. Just, Meeting people, I get to yeah, a hundred percent. That's in my that's in my future plans. Call up Abby, and, oh and we've been talking and, about putting together a show somehow for freaking two to three years now. But yeah, I mean, call her up, stay on her couch for a couple weeks or whatever. She's probably got another bedroom, and 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 spend a couple uh spend a couple weeks there. You'll be surprised about how much how many people you meet. Yeah, just by accident. Trip's not planned, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> what is the plan for the rest of the year into next year? Uh, so we start back up next month pretty heavily. Um, we're headlining October Four Peaks Oktoberfest in Tempe, Arizona on October 13th. Uh, we're doing the Whiskey in L.A. the week before on the 7th, October 7th. Um, and then we're playing this one I'm really excited about. In November 10th through 12th, we're playing bike the bike rally in Rocky Point, Mexico. That'll be super fun. We've got three back-to-back dates. So the rest of the year with HGNM just looks like a lot of traveling, um, a lot of playing new places. We got a couple of gigs in Vegas coming up, and really just trying to expand our uh, market in other states. Uh, as for personal things, definitely getting this event in order is uh, goal number one, and then maybe start working on some original stuff again, and you know just kind of messing around with that. And I definitely want to work on my social media more um that's been in my goal book for a little bit i i don't know if you're too familiar with like the copyright issues of instagram and shit like that but that's made that really hard for me to pump out the social media content that uh really kind of like put me on the map for a little bit a couple years ago because i i can't do like little covers anymore and post them and stuff like that so I really want to figure out a way to uh, revamp my social media a little bit in my downtime. Yeah, I, I just posted on Facebook was it last week. The Marvelous Three, which is this great band, um, just re- they reunited and they just put out a new song. And I posted it on Facebook, and like half of it is like no sound. Oh, it's ridiculous! It's I, like I, I, I get it from a certain extent. But come on now. Everyone knows I didn't write Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. Like, let me play it. <laughs> like, every, No one's thinking I'm trying to steal that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just let me play it. And it sucks because when I was doing those little cover videos, I used to do these things. They were little Instagram videos from, like, here down. And I used to call them the base without a face videos. And they did great. And, I, you know, they, they really built my social media following up for a little bit. And then they – and uh, that's actually kind of how my current band found me was through those videos. Mm-hmm. Um. And now they Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, they just are so hardcore about their copyright stuff now that I, I don't know what to post, you know? I don't even know if I can get away with posting my band's mashups because those songs technically aren't ours. So I'm sitting here looking at my Instagram like, okay, how many photos of myself can I post without, like, exhausting everyone? I need something new, and it sucks that I don't have, like, my go-to little niche that 
helped out a lot about a year or two ago. So I guess, again, that's on my goal list is to figure out a way to get back into uh, enjoying social media because I really did have fun with it for a very long time and it was lucrative. And now I'm, it's like exhausting to me. I really am kind of at like a wall with that, I would say. Well, how does TikTok get away with it? Because you have all these players on TikTok playing guitar covers. Okay, so I'm about to spill a TikTok secret. The way you can get away with it on TikTok is, you know how you can attach other audios to it? If you attach a random audio to that from whatever and turn the volume all the way down, TikTok technically doesn't pick up on the audio that you're actually playing. Wow. I don't know if that's, that was true back in the day. Like a few months ago, I got away with it. Um, I don't know if they figured out that people were doing that loophole. So I don't know how it is now because I haven't posted one in a little bit. But that is how you can maneuver through TikTok. Now, Instagram, you can't upload audio uh, to a video directly. You have to use whatever audio is in the video. That's why, I mean, you could post that. It's taken down within three seconds. It's like insane. But it sucks. Like I said, I feel like I'm at like a wall with social media. I need like, it's not fun for me right now yeah. because like, I don't know what to create. I don't know what, what people want. <laughs> it's the no fun police, basically. You know. Yeah, exactly. Party poopers. <laughs> well, Rachel, it's been great getting to know you and learning more about your influences and your career. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to more. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Great conversation. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. All right, everyone. That's Rachel Bello. Uh, she's out in Arizona. And check her out on social media. I'll be posting all that stuff, too, as well. And, hey, thanks again for turn, tuning in and listening. And we will talk soon. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And thank you very much. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 